Fire in the Mountains, Chapter 3 Kotsky was gone when Shoto woke up. Shoto opened his eyes from a light doze and found Mina yawning from the center bed, Denki snoring still, and Kiri peering out the window closest to Shoto's bed in silence. Shoto felt like he should have been startled, or unnerved, but Kiri was just looking out at the land, like Shoto wasn't even there. Uh, Kiri? He looked down and blinked at Shoto before he offered a wide, hopeful sort of smile that hadn't quite crinkled his eyes like it had yesterday. You're awake. Did you sleep well? Yes, thank you. Shoto said stiffly, sheer force of will, the only thing that kept him from blushing. Kiri had a fur slung around his shoulders and was holding it tight to his chest. Shoto had the sudden and very disconcerting thought that he might have no idea what Kiri was wearing underneath it. Instead, he forced himself to meet Kiri's violently red, painful, guilelessly eyes, and he said, Thank you very much for my necklace. It's lovely, and I'm sorry I didn't say so yesterday. Kiri's smile got a little wider, and then Shoto said without thinking, No one has ever given me anything so thoughtful before. He paused for a moment after he said it, startled by its truth, and almost looked away kicking himself for letting such a personal fact slip out so casually. Kiri's eyes got a little softer at the edges. You really like it? Yes, thank you. Shoto forced himself to smile, the expression feeling a little foreign on his face, and he dropped it quickly. But Kiri just beamed at him, and then wordlessly bounded away. Shoto watched him scamper to his own space and drop the fur on the bed. He was, in fact, completely naked, and Shoto looked away very quickly. When Kiri ran by her, Shoto realized Mina had been watching them. She watched Kiri from a place where she'd been casually stretching her hands towards the ceiling after climbing out of bed. And when Kiri bounded back over to Shoto, thankfully wearing pants now, and carrying a long, flat case, Mina followed him. She was, now that Shoto had a chance to see her, more stout than he had realized. She was wearing nothing but a band of fabric around her breasts and another around her hips, and Shoto could see muscle in her arms and thighs and belly. Shoto hadn't seen many, or any, women in this state of undress, but he'd always assumed they were generally softer than that. Mina looked like she could lift Kiri if the fancy struck her. He must have been staring at her more openly than he realized because she lifted her blonde brows at him and he found himself looking at his hands when he said, Thank you very much for the gift, Mina. You must be an incredibly skilled alchemist.
Mina smirked at him and flounced down on his bed. Yeah, glad you liked it. And that was that, it seemed. Kiri distracted him from pressing her further on said skill by sitting on the pallet, too, and crowding close to Shoto with his case. He flung it open to reveal what was very clearly a a beadworking kit. Shoto looked over to Kiri in surprise, but Kiri was very focused on his case. He started shifting things around, searching for something, and he grabbed Shoto's hand very suddenly. Shoto had to work to not wrench his hand away. It wasn't used to being touched like that. Mina watched in amusement, and Shoto watched in utter confusion as Kiri looped a length of leather cord around Shoto's wrist, pinched a section, and then tore it with his teeth. Shoto looked over at Mina, who started to snicker, and then nudge Kiri who was so focused on his leather cord, he didn't seem to realize what he was doing was strange. Tell him what you're doing, Red. Kiri blinked up at her and then at Shoto. Oh, sorry, I was taking a measurement. I can make a bracelet too, he said very cheerfully. He tilted the case towards Shoto. See, I have all these beads. He frowned then, shoulders sagging a little, and said, I already made them lots, and they don't want any more. We never said that, Mina protested. I love your jewelry, and Kotsky does too. Shoto surprised himself when he said, I'd like that. Thank you. He wasn't terribly sure he would. He'd never been fond of ornamentation. But Kiri's smile was striking, and Shoto kept hearing him whisper in the dark, He's mean. It was a weakness, really. It shouldn't matter to Shoto what any of these heathens thought of him, but... Kiri beamed again, gathered up his case, and then raced over to his own space where he bent his head and immediately started poking at his beadwork. Mina watched him for a few seconds before she looked at Shoto and wrinkled her nose. How do you sleep like that? I can't take it off without a servant, Shoto explained. We can't reach the laces alone. Mina gave him a flat, disbelieving sort of look. You flatlanders can't take your clothes off without help? Or put them on, Shoto conceded. At least the nobility, that is. Commoner clothing is simple. Mina rolled her eyes. Well, that's fucking stupid. Shoto cleared his throat. Well, turn around then. Excuse me? I'll get the laces for you, Mina said brightly. Unless you planned on wearing that all day, she added. Shoto looked down at his rumpled, slept-in woolen waistcoat and stood up without thinking too hard about it. He was starting to feel suffocated by the tight fabric, and he was going to have a servant if he wasn't going to have a servant who could help him. Mina crawled on her knees across the bed behind him 
and then Shoto tensed when he felt her fingers on his shoulders. She pushed his hair off the back of his neck and started picking the laces with uncareful little jerks, and if Shoto hadn't been so relieved to feel the tight wool loosen, he would have been worried she was going to tear something. You do this all the time? she asked. This takes forever. Yes, Shoto answered, and then, because not talking while she did this was somehow worse, had any woman he hasn't he wasn't related to or dancing with ever been this close to him? He added, Ceremony clothing is worse. My wedding waistcoat had two rows of laces up the back, one on each side, and one up the neck. Mina groaned. That's awful. How long did it take to get it off? Kotsky must have. <clears throat> Shoto cleared his throat, and when Mina went very quiet, he answered, I ruined it accidentally. With my magic, I lost my temper before the ceremony. He added, blushing too fiercely to directly contradict what Mina had said. But she wasn't one to speak in circles, apparently, because she said, Huh, you really didn't. Shoto took a steady breath. No, my lady. The last lace pulled free and the waistcoat slid from Shoto's shoulders down over his elbows. Mina sat back and said, Huh. Shoto carefully folded the waistcoat so his hands would have something to do so he wouldn't have to speak. Mina said, Why, though? Aren't you supposed to? On your wedding night? Shoto pressed his teeth together, and then he sat back on the bed without looking at her. His chest felt looser without the tight press of wool, but Mina's prying questions were making his lungs ache. Do you just like girls? Mina said quizzically. Shoto finally did turn his head then. Uh. She watched him, chewing curiously on her lip and just waiting. Uh, tech, technically, yes, we were supposed to. Uh, where I come from, a wedding isn't really legal until you do, but... Mina suddenly gave him a very wicked grin and leaned back on her elbow, putting her head in her hand. Ah, I get it. You've never done it. Shoto swallowed hard. This conversation was incredibly inappropriate. He should end it. Make up some excuse, but... Were you scared? Koski's really good at it, you know. He wouldn't have hurt you. Shoto released a strangled breath of air, and Mina went on without noticing. That stuff I gave you will help, too. Wait, I could make... That might be really overwhelming for your first time. I could probably make something a little bit weaker. Uh, that's, that's not. Shoto interrupted and then went very silent. 
Mina's brows drew together. Does this stuff embarrass you or something? Your cheeks are really red. Yes, Shoto hissed. I'm very uncomfortable right now. Mina just blinked at him and waited for him to go on. We don't really speak of these things where I come from. Mina snorted. <laughs> Maybe not with you. Shoto just looked at her. I just mean, people are people, Mina said with a shrug. People talk about fucking. They just gotta, she said with a cheerful shrug. How old are you? Twenty. Mina shrugged again. You ever even kissed before? Shoto didn't reply, but apparently his hesitation was answer enough. Mina sat up very quickly, quickly enough that Shoto didn't have time to jerk away from her before she put her hand on his chin and pulled him around to face her. And then she darted in, God, how was she so fast, and pressed a bright, friendly kiss to Shoto's pursed lips. Shoto stared at her in open shock. There! she said, patting him lightly on the cheek as she stood up. Next time, it won't be so scary. And then she turned and walked back to her space to get dressed, leaving Shoto staring at her in stunned disbelief. When he turned his head, he found Dinky staring at him from the bed across the room. The second their eyes met, Danky dissolved into giggles, and Shoto looked away, suddenly feeling utterly naked in his wrinkled silk tunic and nothing else. He needed his things, his clothes, and a bath. That gave him pause. He usually took his baths in his room. Would he be required to bathe in front of these people too? The thought made him shudder. But before he could linger on it, someone knocked on the great red door. What? Mina called loudly. The door opened and two very cheerful servants shuffled in, carrying a trunk between them. Ooh, what's that? Mina asked curiously, wandering over. The servants didn't seem to mind, unlike Shoto, that while she'd been brushing her hair, she'd removed the strip of cloth from her chest and hadn't replaced it with another. One servant bowed deeply, but then said with absolutely zero difference, King Kotsky told us to bring this to you. He said it's, uh, for the new one. When she said the last bit, she peered around, eyes pausing only briefly on Kiri, Dinky, and Mina again before she found Shoto and she waved at him. Shoto must have scowled because the servant frowned very suddenly, cheeks getting a little pink, and looked down at the trunk when she bent to lift it again, her compatriot following her lead. They both carted the trunk over to Shoto, sat it down, and then bowed. For you, sir. Shoto squeezed his eyes shut briefly because he was not a sir. He was, at the very least, a lord, and properly a majesty or a highness. But with a king like Kotsky, he supposed he shouldn't be surprised no one had ever taught the servants proper manners. 
The servants stared at him expectantly. So Shoto got up and flipped the, opened the trunk just as the three co-spouses gathered around to see what Kotsky had sent him. Clothing, and rather a lot of it, judging by the size of the trunk. That solved one of Shoto's problems, at least. The clothes were all unfamiliar cuts. There were a lot more leather and fur than Shoto was used to, but at least he could get out of the breeches and tunic he'd traveled in. The servants were still staring at him. Shoto stared back, stared back flatly, trying to determine what they wanted. He supposed he hadn't properly dismissed them. Maybe they thought he still wanted something. <clears throat> Please express my gratitude to King Kotsky, he tried. The girl who waved at him frowned a little and said, Yes, sir. They still didn't move, though. Shoto didn't feel like playing this game today. How does one bathe here? He said tiredly to the five assembled barbarians at large. How do you usually? Denki asked with a dry laugh. Shoto glanced at the servants. I usually have a wash tub brought to my room. Shoto admitted, and then he added, just in case anyone got any ideas, alone. Oh, that's not how we do it, Mina said. We've got hot springs under the mountain that we pipe in. They can take you, she added, jerking her chin to the servant. And then she beamed and said, please? Certainly, the man's servant said, and then looked at Shoto. Oh, all right then, Shoto muttered. He glanced down at the trunk, wondering if he should bring his clothes with him. But before he could voice the thought, the servant had grabbed his hand and was pulling him towards the door. Shoto jerked his hand away reflexively, shooting the servant a chilly look. Why did everyone seem so keen on touching him? The color drained out of the man's face, and he hesitated a step before he nodded his head in a jerky half-bow and led Shoto out, the girl close behind him. They didn't lead Shoto terribly far. They took him through the red door, out the back hallway, and down two more short corridors before they paused in front of a plain wooden door with three wavy lines carved on it. They looked at him expectantly again, and since Shoto was not at all fond of this game, he simply opened the door himself and went in, leaving the servants behind him. The room was full of steam, and there was a screen carved from stone blocking the rest of it from view. Shoto took a moment to marvel at the screen. It was one solid piece of rock that had been carved into a meticulous mesh-like pattern before he stepped around it. His stomach dropped when he realized the room was not empty and it was clearly meant for more than one person. There were two little pools, round and one shimmering with steam and oils, the other crystal clear and very still, and then a very long, narrow, rectangular one that looked deeper. Kotsky was sitting in the first pool, 
staring in wordless surprise at Shoto. Shoto stood up very straight and had no idea what he was supposed to do. Kotsky had his arms thrown out against the rim of the pool, his bare, muscled chest slick with water and oil. The water was just cloudy enough that Shoto couldn't see into it, but just Kotsky's chest and arms were quite enough. Even though Shoto had seen them before, since Kotsky seemed to prefer dressing in just breeches and a cloak, it still felt incredibly inappropriate to see him here. Kotsky's hair was wet, trailing down the sides of his face, and that was, somehow, the very worst part. Shoto had caught him entirely off guard, and while he was literally naked, something about his wet hair and wide open eyes made Shoto feel like he'd been caught metaphorically naked too like no one should see him like this. Shoto turned around, cheeks red, and said, Um, I'm sorry, I asked for a bath. So, take a bath, Kotsky drawled. Shoto kept looking at the opposite wall. Uh, is there another room, or... Kotsky snorted, This is my... Our private bathhouse. If you want to use the servants, though, I won't stop you. Shoto took a steadying breath and then took a step towards the door. I just... Stop. Shoto froze. You don't have to leave. What? Are you scared of me? Kotsky drawled. He said it light, teasing. A challenge. Shoto furiously yanked off his tunic before he could think about how foolish he was being, and also that he was maybe about to spite himself more than Kotsky. Are they different? He demanded, under his breath as he bent to unlace the front of his breeches without turning around. The other round one is cold. Long ones for swimming. Shoto very briefly considered getting into the cold one and just heating the water himself, but at least with the heated pool, all the oil made the water too cloudy to see through. Also, it did smell quite good. The scent filled the air. Shoto had to force himself not to hesitate when it came to stripping off his breeches, and he looked everywhere but at Kotsky when he quickly stepped over and dropped himself into the pool. He sat as far away from Koski as he could, which, of course, put him directly across from him. If they both held out their hands, they would touch. Koski didn't say anything, just studied Shoto with that dangerous quirk to his lips and challenge in his eyes. He was the sort who always looked one step away from a fight or a taunt, when Shoto considered that this brash, arrogant conqueror of a man had touched him while he slept, had unlaced his boots and pulled them from his feet, lifted his knees onto the bed, and... Just sleep well? Uh, yes, thank you, 
Shoto said stiffly, still looking over his shoulder and trying to enjoy the rather pleasant heat of the water and the slick feel of the oils on his skin. The water was actually bubbling a little and swirling very gently. Silence stretched like a wet woolen thread between them. Shoto could feel how close it was to breaking, and he had no idea what would happen when it finally snapped. This was his own fault. Hadn't his father always told him that rebellious streak would be the end of him? He'd agreed to this. He'd come here on his own accord. No one had forced him. Not exactly, at least. And yet, here he was. Stuck in a damn bathtub because he'd been too stubborn, once pressed, to insist on privacy. Shoto ducked his head under the water and pushed his hair out of his face so he wouldn't have to say anything. And when he came back up, Koski made a soft sound, an inhale that drew Shoto's eyes against his will. When he didn't say anything, Shoto looked away from him again, but he could feel Kotsky's eyes boring to the side of his face. How long had he been sitting here? A few minutes felt like days. How long did he have to stay here before his pride would allow him to retreat? When Shoto snuck a look again to see if Kotsky was still staring, they actually locked eyes, and Shoto's heart lurched from the awful, embarrassed shock of it. Kotsky said a little quietly, Your eyes are different colors. Whatever Shoto had thought Kotsky had been thinking, that was very far from it. I hadn't noticed, Kotsky said when Shoto turned his head and stared at him. Your hair. Shoto glanced down at the water and then looked back up. Kotsky was studying his own fingernails. Do a lot of people do that to their hair where you come from? Kotsky said finally, voice goading and pressing into Shoto in exactly the wrong way. Do what? Shoto snapped, his tone enough to have Inji sparking at the fingertips if he had been there. That stupid half-and-half half bullshit, Kotsky said arrogantly with the wave of his hand. Shoto stared at him for about three full beats before he said, That's just my hair. I didn't do this to it. Kotsky made a face. Bullshit, it grows like that. Shoto narrows his, narrowed his eyes. It does. It's because of my magic. Shit, really? Kotsky snickered. If Shoto narrowed his eyes any more, he wasn't going to be able to see. I figured you died like Mina does, Kotsky said with a shrug. Couldn't figure out which side was real. It's really just like that? With a very flat look, Shoto lifted his arms so Kotsky could see the little tufts of hair growing under them. Dark red on the left, snow white on the right. Shit, Kotsky said with a cackle. <laughs> well, what about? 
Shoto, who had been looking very pointedly at the intricate carvings in the stone wall, turned his his head. Kotsky lifted his brows and pointed at the water towards roughly the area of his own belly button, and Shoto had to look at him for a long beat before he understood. He spoke again without considering his actions, voice level enough that maybe it concealed the fiery spark of fury in his chest. Everything had to loop back to that with him, with all of them, didn't it? Shoto couldn't have a conversation for more than a few minutes without someone poking at him somewhere personal. It was exhausting. You are utterly contemptible. Kotsky's face shuddered, but he didn't stop smiling. You ever have any emotion other than disdain, panty waist? He asked conversationally. For you? Shoto spat. You don't know me, princess. Kotsky spat back, lips twitching at the corners and still locked in what Shoto was beginning to see was an absolutely furious smile. Shoto met his eyes. I know men like you. I was raised by one. Men who take and control and destroy everything around them. You may have your little harem convinced, but you don't fool me. Kotsky stood up, water streaming from his chest and arms and running in rivets down all his black tattoos. The fuck did you just say to me? It's pathetic, Shoto said without moving. They have no idea who you really are, do they? Kotsky's knuckles cracked. You have no idea. Oh, please. Shoto breathed. You expect me to think you have actual feeling for your war prizes? Kotsky's face went white, like Shoto had struck him, and Shoto couldn't help the cold squirm of satisfaction in his chest. Magic gathered at the tips of his fingers. He could smell a fight, and it was dizzying how much he wanted one. But Kotsky just stood there, breathing heavily, and very deliberately, he sat back down. And you call us savages, he said quietly. Shoto hadn't expected that. I'm going to explain something, he said, voice trembling. And I want you to shut the fuck up and listen, princess. And Shoto did. He fixed Kotsky with the coldest stare he could muster, but he was so shocked Kotsky wasn't trying to hit him. He actually listened. My people, we don't do this, he said, motioning between himself and Shoto. When your father sent the missive, I had to consult with my fucking ambassador to figure out what he meant. I love my family, he said quietly. That's the only reason they're here. It's not about politics or property or... Come at me all you want, but you leave them the fuck alone, alright? You can just fuck off and die. 
He cut himself off very sharply. I mean, just fucking don't, all right? And there it was. Silence. Tight and close, strong enough to feel like something physical, breathing down Shoto's neck. Kotsky broke it when he said sharply, like some thought had just occurred to him. You know you're not my property, right? Shoto laughed, cold and bitter, and said, <laughs> You couldn't own me if you tried. Kotsky's lips curled. No. And then there was nothing but the sound of water swirling. Shoto found himself staring at the bold black lines on Kotsky's arms, twisting and angling from shoulder to wrist, just so he wouldn't have to look at Kotsky's face. And then Kotsky surprised him again when he said very quizzically, You don't much like your father, do you? Shoto laughed again, and then he stood up to get the soap for his hair from a little shelf set into the opposite side of the screen guarding the entrance. At least he assumed that's what the bottles for were for. Shall we say being a disappointing son has given me quite a bit of practice at being a disappointing husband. He said it with his back to Kotsky, and when he turned around bottle in hand, he found Kotsky staring at him. Shoto quickly dropped himself back into the pool, remembering, perhaps belatedly, that Kotsky wasn't the only one not dressed. Kotsky just frowned and looked at Shoto in the eye. He spoke highly of you in the missive. Shoto laughed truly then, the sound sharp and high and bitter. (laughs) He was playing you. He was thrilled to be rid of me. Kotsky stared at him with narrowed eyes, like he didn't believe him. Shoto poured the soap into his hair, scrubbed it carefully, watching Kotsky from the corner of his eye, and then dunked his head again. Said you were his strongest child. Kotsky said conversationally when Shoto came back up for air. When he saw Shoto looking at him, he pushed his hair out of his face, smirked sharpened. Strong being relative, I guess. True enough, Shoto answered, since he murdered Toya. Shoto hadn't meant to say that. His mouth clicked shut, and Kotsky looked at him with a, a little strangely, and Shoto corrected him far later than he should have. Executed. Kotsky just looked and looked, and looked. Shoto couldn't take it anymore. He stood up, water streaming from his body, and climbed out again, this time reaching for a cloth to dry with. And he heard Kotsky make a sharp, aborted sound in the back of his throat. A laugh, poorly contained. Shoto wrapped his cloth around his waist, and really, he should just go. But he couldn't help but turn back. What had he done now? He peered at Kotsky. Kotsky hid a smile and said, 
It's nothing. Shoto raised his brows. Kotsky snickered again, and then he motioned towards Shoto's waist. You, uh, your... And then choked again and hid his eyes, and Shoto realized Kotsky had not been motioning to his waist, but rather a bit lower. Shoto huffed furiously and whirled away. It wasn't his fault all the hair on his body was so neatly divided. Really, if this was how it was, he was going to have to bathe from now on, and people were going to laugh at him, he should probably just shave it all off. Oh, come on! I didn't mean... Kotsky began, still snickering. <laughs> it's nice! Fuck you! Shoto spat and then stomped out of the room, for foolishly forgetting that he was about to walk down three hallways, wet and naked, but for a cloth slung around his waist. Fuck all of this. End of chapter three.